Welcome to the vault where you can find the code to unlock your success. In this space, I invite real, inspiring and successful experts. We have eye-opening conversations about the way to reach your highest potential in life and in business. We will cover the mastery of mindset, energy, emotions, transformation, sales, marketing, thriving in business without losing your authenticity and balance. Hi, I'm Sonia Martinovic and host of The Vault, an entrepreneur, mindset mastery and online business coach with an obsession on real transformation. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs and other influencers master the mindset and build a successful and impactful business. Do you want to break free from your limitations and express your truest self in business and in life? Is growth your game and success your aim? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the vault. Let's start cracking your code. And welcome to another episode of The Vault. And this week, I'm so excited because we, I have with me Jerome Myers. He left corporate America because he realized that although he had many accomplishments, he had not gained significance because he was not leading a centered life. Now, as a leadership coach, he uses his personal journey and unique training method to guide other Apex performance in leadership positions to face through the toughest personal and professional challenges head on. I'm super excited because we're going to speak about leadership. Welcome, Jerome. Sonia, thanks for having me. It's so amazing to be with you today. Absolutely. I saw some of your interviews. Your energy is amazing. Your content is amazing. So I'm super excited also for our listeners because they get to unlock another amazing episode and a lot of value when it comes to leadership. So please, I always start with the question, what is the story behind it? How did it start out for you? At 4.55 on Christmas Eve, I get a phone call and it goes something like this. Hey, Jerome, we are going to lay half of them off. No, that's not the right answer. He's like, I understand you and I have been going back and forth on this for two or three weeks, but I've made a decision and that's what we're going to do. And of course I said, no, that's not the right answer. We need to figure something else out. These folks have made these sacrifices and so on. So no. That's what we're going to do. And so we went on and on for another three or four minutes. And then I got the three boops that anybody who has an iPhone has heard. And in the middle of an important conversation, they dread. And mm. it's meant that the phone call had ended. And he said right before that happened, hey, I'm going to spend the rest of the year with my family. I'll talk to you in the new year. And I knew at that point that I was going to have to do something I'd never done before. And it was something I never wanted to do. Mm. And so on January 13th of that year, I was employee number two in the division of a Fortune 550. By September, I had 175 people on my team. And by the end of the year, we did $20 million in revenue with 30% profit margins. So on December 24th, I'm having a discussion with somebody about laying people off when we made $6 million in profit. It didn't make any sense to me. Mm. It's totally baffled, confused, frustrated, disappointed. Now, when I unpacked that today, I missed something. I didn't have to participate in that. I didn't have to just go along. But you know what? At the time, I really liked my brand new F-150 and I really liked the bonuses and the pay. And I was like, hey, sure. I'm yeah. doing this because <laughs> that's what they told me to do. But nobody made me do that. I had a choice and I chose not to make the choice that really would have sat right with my soul. 
And so we went through it. I did everything I could to make it as objective as possible. And we did a bunch of performance metrics. We looked at how people performed over the course of the last year. We looked at their upside potential. And I wanted to make sure that nobody would be able to say, hey, they just kept their friends or mm-hmm. something else that goes with a subjective process. So we put Humpty Dumpty back together again. We made another run the next year, another $20 million, another 30% profit margins. And again, I'm at the end of the year, but this time it was Thanksgiving instead of Christmas. And I am standing in front of the room and I say, hey, guys, I want to make sure that you do not spend all of your money on Black Friday. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen between now and the end of the year, but make sure that you don't spend all your money because I'm unsure what's going to happen. It was at that point I felt like I lost all of my leadership credibility. In fact, I didn't feel like I actually deserved to be in a role because I was telling people that I didn't know what was going to be in their future. Yeah. And as a leader, I think it's up to us to really be able to see into the future and prepare people because that preparation is really important for them because most of them aren't coming to work because they love the place. Most of them are coming to work because this is the way they're able to feed their family. Exactly. So I dropped out and said, Hey, I need, I need agency over my life. I need to be able to make my own decisions. The funny thing about this Sanya is I thought, Hey, I'm in charge. So I was in a situation where I met with my supervisor every other week via phone and I saw him once a quarter. And because I was a person in the lead, on the ground, I felt like it was my shop. But when these situations came up, I realized the buck didn't stop with me. Somebody else was going to make decisions and I had to execute those decisions. Exactly. And I left because I wanted to be the person who would be able to say, hey, no, this is my decision. Nobody else is making me do this. I'm doing this of my own desire. Wow. Wow. I so resonate with that. I went through a lot of change management when it came to when it comes to my corporate career as a manager. So I completely resonated with some of the things that you were saying. Like it's so impersonal when you go through the, you know, the appraisals and all of that and the performance sheets and you actually know the people. And now you have to tell them the decision that you don't stand really behind. But I get you. Thank you so much for sharing. So tell me, so now you pivoted to entrepreneurship. What was the biggest thing that you had to overcome in order for you to start a successful business? Oh, everything. That <laughs> just said that. The question is, is, is so layered because I think a lot of us feel like, oh, I'll just go in the street and do the thing and it'll be okay. And it's different, right? It, yeah. <laughs> it's completely different. Yeah. It's, it's baffling. And so part of the thing that I was doing when I was in corporate, because we grew so quickly, was developing a lot of new leaders because- mm we had to promote from within because there wasn't a way to go hire somebody else because we didn't really know of anybody else who was doing the same thing we were doing. Mm. And so I thought, Hey, people would really appreciate my leadership development. They would really appreciate my strategy. And I thought I can just go back to the same people who I was working with before and sell these services back as an independent contractor. And I'll tell you that nobody returned my phone calls. Yeah. And The people who were very interested in spending time with me just three or four months before had no use for me when I didn't have the title anymore. And so I had to quickly decouple my identity 
from the roles that I've been in in the past because the people who were interested in me were interested in me because I was in the roles, not me as the person. That was a sobering experience for me. Yeah, I get that. As I went into doing my own thing, what I really had to do was recreate my self-image. I had to recreate my identity and then present that person to the world. And one of the toughest things I think we experience or understand is there's a lag. I think a lot of us feel like the world is a mirror. And so we go out into the world and we project this thing and we put it out and everybody's supposed to get in alignment with it. But here's the reality. If the people know you and they have anecdotal information about what to expect from you and who you are and what you've done, and you go present something contrary to that, there's a lag. There's mm. always going to be some type of gap and it's going to take you being consistent in your presentation in order for folks to catch up with your new identity or your new self-image. Mm -hmm. And that was probably, if I boil it all down to the thing, since you asked for the thing that I had to overcome, representing myself to the world or reintroducing myself to the world as a person doing this stuff. And although I was repackaging all of the training and the talents that I had from previous roles, they didn't expect it to come from Jerome in this way or package or branded that way. That's amazing. Now you have this Jerome method. Can you tell a little bit about it? I'm very curious. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of things, right? So when I left corporate, we got into multifamily real estate and fix and flip houses. And so Myers Methods is related to our process for buying multifamily properties. And so we find, fund, fix, and flip those properties. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Finding is when you actually go out to the marketplace. And we believe that the only way you really find a deal is when you can get directly in touch or contact with the seller. And the ability to create and form that relationship allows you to get access to deals that other people aren't trying to get access to. Exactly. And allow you to buy something with some equity in it. And then the funded phase allows you to go in and actually put your team together and put all the money together in order to actually purchase the deal. The next step would be fixing it. And so when you put the money together and the team together, you also create a business plan. And so fixing it is executing that business plan. Exactly. And as a business owner operator, you're always looking to increase the net operating income of the business. That's what makes the business worth more. And so during a fixed process, that's what we're doing is increasing the net operating income. And then the final piece is flipping it. And that can be a refi or it can be a sale. But whatever you do, the goal for us is always to take the initial capital that we invested and pull that back out. And we've taught lots and lots of people how to do this in the multifamily space. And the goal there is really just to get exposure to something that's going to create passive income. It's There's some time invested in doing this stuff. But if you can do that, then you could create an income stream that you don't have to go to on a daily basis in order to extract the dollars from it. So what would you say that when it comes to the leadership coaching, for example, what is the meaning behind it for you? What is it that you truly want to achieve? Yeah, I, there's probably... And nobody's ever asked me that question that way. I'm trying to organize the points, but I think there's probably three points. And so bear with me as I piece this together <laughs> with you in real time. And I think the first one is people over profits. 
I've watched really successful businesses be successful financially and be completely corrupt in the culture. Mm. And I think a lot of it is really tied to a person deciding that, oh, this is just business. And so they treat people or they treat humans as if they're not humans. I struggle with that because I believe that you get more out of people when they believe in you, when they're excited about the mission, and when they are committed to executing against whatever that goal is. And I don't think that it is a wise move to treat people like they're a commodity when you're looking to get that deep connection or commitment from them. I just don't yes. know how the two will ever go together. The next one I think is you can do good and make a profit. I think there are some folks who believe that in order to make money, you have to be disconnected from any being a, a good corporate citizen. I've actually found the opposite. I think you end up making more money and are more valued or admired as a company, call it goodwill, call it, call it social impact, when you actually want to contribute to the community instead of just taking away. I remember when I was sitting on a board and one of the professors said, we would we love to send our best students to you because you invest, you water the vine instead of just trying to take the fruit. And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders are out there just trying to figure out how can I take off of the tree? How can I pull off the apple tree, eat the apple without putting any water in, without doing anything to make sure that the sky is clear and the sun can come through? And they have con the continuous business right on long term instead of the sprint to say so financial injection. So I love mm -hmm. that. It says a lot about your value. What is the one thing? that leaders never speak about publicly, but it's a big struggle. The lack of certainty. Oh my gosh. Yes, that's so true, Jerome. Yeah. I think most business leaders are of the opinion that they have all the answers and that nobody. They feel obligated to give all the answers also. Yeah. And the reality is everybody on your team knows when you don't know. You're yeah. not fooling anybody. And yeah, so it is. the best thing you can do is to encourage them to come along on that journey with you because it is exploration and it is an experiment, especially when you're doing something for the first time. Mm -hmm. And if you can get them engaged in the problem solving process, especially if they're the people closest to the customers or closer to the production, you usually get better answers quicker than the folks who are further away. Oh, I completely agree. So what would you, your suggestions be when it comes to engaging and creating an engaged team? Yeah, I think From open the core, I'm not talking about people who are saying it, but people who actually feel motivated intrinsically from the inside to do what could a leader do to create that kind of engagement and motivation in their teams? So I think the open-ended questions is the most powerful thing you can do. And so you're working on something that hasn't been figured out and asking the question to engage the team and then taking that feedback, doing a deep dive on how you would actually execute it and then coming back to the team and say, hey, 
these were the ideas that we got from you. We evaluated the different options and we decided that this one was going to have the highest likelihood of being successful for us. So here's how we're going to go through that and then get them to give more feedback on that iteration and then go execute, get the data and eventually presenting that back. The more people you can get bought in, the more people who have ownership of the outcome, the better off you can be usually. I 100% agree. I remember when I was in this one business in corporate and I actually managed a team and we made them create their own margin plan. So we only get gave them a target, but they got to create a whole plan around it. They could be creative however they wanted, do it however they wanted, and then present it to us. And that made them like super engaged to get the results and usually overscored because of it. And because they were involved in the process. So I love that you said that and I, and I completely agree. So when it comes to focus, right? So a business leader needs focus, needs to make quick decisions and needs to be productive. And I think when it comes to productivity, what is some of the tools that you are using were really pla- practical and can be used directly by the audience, which is tuning in? Yeah, so I have a lot of meetings outside of my organization and the thought of having a person who's responsible for calling other people and getting those meetings set up just seems totally inefficient for me. And so the number one tool that I use that eliminated the need for a person or me spending the time setting up those meetings is Calendly. And so if I need to talk to somebody in real time, they can go and pick a time that fits on their calendar. And from that space or that place, we can meet. And I think it it's probably saved me two to three hours a week. Mm-hmm. If somebody needs to make an adjustment, as long as they don't do it within a 48 hours, they have the ability to go ahead and slide things around as well. Yeah, I think that's such practical, but such useful advice. I was trying to plan a session with one of the business coaches that I have, and she has an assistant. <laughs> and then the assistant is just like, I said, let's just arrange it right away. I do send me a payment link and I will just send me the Zoom link and we're done. It takes five minutes until I go through the whole process with the assistant. It's a real time consumer. It's crazy. <laughs> but I heard you speak about something else in another interview about color coding your agenda or schedule. And I really love that. So I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about how to do that. So that's step two. So step one is people get on my calendar. And then step two is at a glance, I can look at my calendar and tell whether I'm doing something that's a profit producing activity, administrative or podcast internal and then an external podcast. And then the last one is called a discovery caller introduction, getting to know new people. And so I color code my calendar within those five things. Administrative stuff is red. If there's a lot of red on my calendar, I got to figure out how to get it off. Less profit, probably. The profit piece is really important and because if your calendar is only... 20% profitable and you're the major producer in your business, if you're talking about business coaches, right? The hours that you spend in calls with people or the time that you spend in discovery with potential new clients is 
what your whole revenue piece of your business is. Yeah. It doesn't matter how great your social media is. It doesn't matter how great your podcast so. is. <laughs> None of that stuff matters if you aren't able to get some capital injected into your business by rendering services or doing sales calls with new people. And so I, I can't emphasize that enough because I think a lot of times we get enamored with all of the people that are on our team or we get enamored with this idea or concept that we are interviewing a lot of cool people, but there's going to come a point where what I call you run out of runway. And so as long as you have runway, the plane doesn't have to take off. Runway is your cash. Mm. Eventually you run out of cash. And so you got to get the plane off of the ground and the plane being off the ground means it's making money so that you can continue to progress towards whatever your outcomes or goals are. I love that you say that. And a lot of people get intentionally distracted from that. So <laughs> good point to bring out. <clears throat> so you talked about you want to have balance, but not a burnout. Do you believe that balance exists, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship? What is your take on that? Yeah, so my favorite test to prove that I'm right, because I get paid to be right, <laughs> is for all the listeners who are out there, I want you to stand up. And if you're already standing up, stop. I want you to put equal weight on both feet. Now I want you to try to walk. You can't move the weight off of either foot. You got to keep it equal. I suspect that they're stuck. They can't move and they're in balance. And so balance isn't a real thing. We continually shift our priorities. We continually shift our weight from one foot to the other in order to make progress. What I think is really important is that where you actually are in the continuum of things. And so what we ask people to do is to live a centered life. And so this is our model of the red pill and it's got six different levels. But the point here is that when you're centered, you don't fall over. It, some people think that being centered and being balanced are the same thing, but they're not. You can lose your balance or you lose your balance because you're not centered anymore. Think about running around a curve or chasing a kid who's running really fast. You fall down because you're out of center. I don't believe that balance is the way to make progress as an entrepreneur. I just don't think it's real. You're going to shift over here. You're going to work on this thing. Maybe you're setting up systems. And then once that's taken care of, you move to the next thing. Trying to make everything of equal importance and equal priority at the same time is never going to work. If we talk about the five different ways I label my calendar, if I've got 20% on discovery calls and 5% on actual coaching calls. If I stay in that space, because I feel like that's balanced, then I probably won't be making any money in a long time. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely. What do you think that causes actual when people get really out of balance? Because I get what you're saying, right? You need to prioritize. We have the masculine, feminine energy and we cannot keep it all the time like straight. But at some point, people just don't take in what they truly need as a human being to be centered. Do you think the biggest reason is that people actually burn out or let's say leaders burn out because they, of course, have a bigger responsibility on their shoulders? Yeah, I think people burn out because they lose clarity on their priorities. And so what does that mean? If you're working 18 hours a day, seven days a week, 
I suspect that you lost prior understanding of what your priorities are outside of work. And that typically means that the people or the things or whatever is outside of work that deserves some of your attention isn't getting it. If you are working on things that you don't enjoy, I suspect that you didn't start doing what you wanted to do because you wanted to do a bunch of stuff you didn't enjoy. Absolutely. You lost the priorities. And sure, there's going to be times, and I don't live in utopia, there's going to be times where you work more than you want to work or you're doing things you don't want to do. But when you do that for too long, know that you're probably out of alignment, which is keeping you out of flow, which makes it feel like a grind. Instead of what I consider to be paradise or heaven on earth. Exactly. Hey, tell me a little bit about the process. For example, maybe a client story about a leader. Tell me a little bit about the process you're taking them through. What are the first, third, second and third step in order for you to really up their leadership and their teams? Just give us a little insight, maybe with a story, maybe just a process, whatever you like. Yeah, let me, everybody's asked me to do it with the story. Let me think through this quickly. Okay, so let me give you six steps and then maybe I can run a story on the backside. So six steps, self-image, relationship, and work. Those are the first three things that we work through. Those three things are the sources of all the stress in your life. Mm -hmm. I've been saying this for a few hundred different interviews. Nobody has been able to argue with me and tell me I'm wrong. So if there's a listener <laughs> out there who says, Jerome, my stress comes from something outside of one of those three, I would love to hear from them so we can argue because I like to argue every now and again. <laughs> with those three, we want to turn down the stress so that you stop doing self-destructive habits. Mm. Self-destructive habits are usually prefaced by somebody saying, I need to take the edge off. Whatever you do on the backside of taking the edge off usually isn't good for you. There may be some people who go do yoga or sound bath or something else, but rarely do I hear people say that. They're usually taking a sip of alcohol, using a narcotic, or doing something else that might not be rated for this actual podcast episode. So mm -hmm. once we turn down the stress, then we move up to health because we've eliminated the need to take the edge off. And so we help people improve their health. Then we move up to prosperity, which is level five. We do health before prosperity because I think every one of the listeners knows somebody who is really prosperous, mm. but they do not have their health. And so what they end up doing is giving up all of their prosperity to get back to their health. So health, then prosperity. We don't want to set people up to go backwards when they're going through the process. And then when people get to prosperity, they usually think they're done. Most people they have self-actualized and so they've reached the holy grail but what they end up figuring out is that they still feel empty mm. they're still questioning what was it all for yeah i got the house i got the car but what was all what's next for? yeah and so we move we help people go from self-actualization to transcendence we call it significance in our model other people may call it immortality they may call it legacy But what we want to teach people here or help them see or discover is what is this thing that you're going to do to positively impact the lives of other people? And you're doing this because you want to leave your imprint on the world. And so if we run through those six layers again, just to make sure everybody got it, self-image, relationship, and work, that's the stress. 
then fix the health because you're not doing self-destructive habits, prosperity after health because we don't want to give back the money once we make it, and then you self-actualize and then we want to go to the pinnacle, which is transcendence or significance as we call it in our model. So if I take a person, I'm going to take myself because I think it's just the easiest way to go through it. And so when, and it ties into the earlier point of the conversation, when I decided that I no longer wanted to lay people off and I wanted to take agency over myself, I left corporate America. I had to redefine myself. I had to create a new self-image for myself because the people I called, who's, I told was I was going to do the same things that I'd already been doing. They knew me weren't interested in me. And so I needed to go down deep, do some reflection, and then represent myself to the world as a person who does this other thing. And it didn't happen instantly. There was the lag that we talk about. Mm -hmm. What I found was that people started to accept me, especially when I introduced myself to new people with my new self-image. Then I moved up to relationships. And so there's three different types of relationships that we have. There is the mutually beneficial relationship, the Mutual a relationship that's not mutually beneficial, but will be or could be reframed as mutually beneficial and ones that will never be mutually beneficial. And so I had to go in and sever all of the relationships that were not mutually beneficial. And mm -hmm. then the ones that could be mutually beneficial, but not, I had to reframe those. I had a lot of what you call vampires hanging out and I was just giving, giving and they weren't giving back. And so I ended up feeling drained. And so we either got rid of them or we moved them over into the bucket of mutually beneficial. And so you don't end up feeling empty. And this is the place where a lot of people, apex performers, business leaders get drained. This is why they feel burned out because nobody's pouring into their cup. They're yeah. only pouring out in that bankruptcy because they don't have enough in the cup or that emptiness leads to the burnout because they have the lack of energy. And so mm -hmm. once I reframed those relationships, then when I showed up in the workplace, people saw me more as a leader. I was, the energy was engaging, it was attractive, it was interesting, it was compelling to get people to come in and do stuff with us. And that started leading to more income, more responsibility, more people trusting me as their advisor. The next level was health. And so I went on this journey where I lost 25 pounds. Part of it was because I wasn't doing a bunch of stress eating because that sugar was my thing. My, my <laughs> self-destructive habit was if I was stressed, I would go eat a whole bag of the <laughs> chocolate turtles. Just not a good example. From there, I started exercising, better diet, meditation, a bunch of other things in order to improve my health affirmations. Then we go to level five and the prosperity started showing up because of the way that I was showing up in the world and the way I was helping folks. And then the final piece was, I, and that was more real estate related. I came back to coaching because I wanted to help other people. And so there was a point on my journey where I realized, hey, we're having success, but we're not telling anybody about it. And I still remember being a junior engineer at a company with 17,000 employees. We had 88 executives and only one of them was an African-American man. His name wow. was Craig. And Craig, I would see him in the hallways. I would see him in the parking garage. And I would say, hey, Craig, you make me believe that it's possible for me because you did it. You were an executive. And so I wanted to run a business unit. And I think I can do it because that's what you're doing. He would always tell me, don't worry about that, Jerome. Just be the best engineer you can be. Then be the best supervisor, then the best manager, director, vice president. Like, just be the best in the job that you're in and it'll work out. Like, yeah, I get all that. But you 
eliminate all the excuses that I can think of for me not being able to do it. And then when I thought about the success that we had in real estate and I went and looked at conferences and I listened to podcasts, I realized that there wasn't a crack. There wasn't anybody out there eliminating excuses for people who looked like me or anybody that was somebody that wasn't a 30 to 50 year old white man. Mm. And for me, I was like, you have to go share because there's somebody out there who's waiting for you to explain to them that this is possible for them. And so we started doing that. We organized conferences. We started podcasts because we wanted to create a platform where people could see themselves doing the thing. Wow. I love it. I love it. So impressive. Don't you love his energy, guys? <laughs> so much clarity. Thank you so much for that. So if people want to find out more about your work or about what you do, how can they reach you, Jerome? Yeah, JeromeMyers.co has all kinds of free resources from our checklist for getting out of the matrix to links to our podcast, articles, you name it, it's there. And they can get it at JeromeMyers.co. I love it. One last question. What is the question that nobody ever asks you? but you would love to answer. What's your thesis on life? What did you say? What is your thesis on life? What is your thesis on life? So tell me, tell us. <laughs> your dreams should be real. And so for the people who made it to this point in the episode, they've enjoyed our dialogue. They've enjoyed our conversation, but I suspect that they're all seeking. I suspect that they're asking the questions, what's it all for? Is this really it? And the reality is the answer is no. And it's up to you to go out there and listen to the dream that maybe you've pushed down or you've told the voice on your shoulder to be quiet or to go away and actually listen to that and then figure out how to make it happen. I think up to probably the age of 10, we're encouraged to dream. We're encouraged to be impractical. We're encouraged to explore and grow and learn. And then we get told all the other things along the way. And basically we live in this place or end up in a space where we don't believe that we can have more than what we see for the folks that are immediately around us. And it's just not true. And have doesn't mean physical possessions. I can be as shallow as the rest of people. Like I, I want a Lamborghini Aventador, right? I like cars <laughs> a lot. But there's also this impact that you can have. And a lot of times I think people will ask you, who are you to do that? Or who are you to believe that's possible for you? And I just encourage you to go out and do all that you can do to make the impact that you can make so that people all over the planet can benefit from the ripple effect that you start. I hope you guys felt that was amazing value. Thank you so much, Jerome. And I will see you next week where we will be leveling up again. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vault. Respect for showing up and creating your next stage of life and business. If you like this episode, I invite you to dive deeper and stay. The S stands for subscribe and share. 
Make a screenshot right now and pay it forward and send this to five friends who can benefit from this value. The T stands for try and transform. Try the technique, at least until the next episode. The A stands for action. Action creates success. Don't stay a student when you have a code. You should try to open the vault. And finally, the Y stands for you. This is about the most valuable asset of the vault and life in general. The one and only authentic you. So if this was your code, please comment and help the vault grow. Hashtag unlocked, hashtag next level, hashtag dive deeper. And see you next week to level up again.